This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's Webradio.com. Got a really cool show today. Our friend Scott Godwin, he's been on the uh, in here a couple times. It's been probably at least a year since he's been here with us. He's going to co-host with us today. He just got back from a uh, a pretty epic trip over to the Middle East, especially epic because of the uh, uh, the ongoing geopolitical strife that we have going on. But but, uh, you know, at any rate, we'll get uh, Scott in here in just a minute. Wanted to, to catch you guys up on the goings-on, though. We had uh, uh, Governor Mike Pence in town during this past week uh, doing the stumping for Trump. He was in uh, um, middle Georgia yesterday for a rally during the daytime and then in Cobb County at uh, a 7 p.m. Um, rally. The uh, Democrats were having a little bit of fun. They were posting some pictures of the crowd gathering in Perry, Georgia. Keep in mind, this was a middle of the day crowd, and talking about uh, the that it was a rather sparse crowd. And I always think it's interesting. It is difficult for Republicans to do midday rallies because most of them are out working. <laughs> it's not like the we're going to bust them in and give them a free ham sandwich Democrat rallies that you see so often in the middle of the day. Uh, the 7.30 rally was well attended. He's also up in Dalton, Georgia today. So uh, it is good to see the vice president here campaigning. It's interesting. The Democrats are claiming that Georgia is a battleground state, yet we haven't really seen Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton here campaigning. Um, Hillary has, I believe, hired a grand total of one person to staff her office, and Donald Trump has a lot of boots on the ground. I feel very confident that we'll be keeping Georgia Republican red, and we're seeing uh, Mr. Trump turn around the polls a little bit. Uh, it's been a horrible month, horrible year, really, for Hillary Clinton, if you think about it. she's uh, well, The FBI found 15,000 more emails, and we are slowly peeling back the onion peel of all of the corruption that the Clinton Foundation and her State Department has been embroiled in. The question is, do Americans care, though? Her supporters don't. They're like lemmings chasing something across a cliff and diving into the sea, all because Hillary says, I want you to be with her. Donald Trump has been better at being on message. He had a uh, campaign staff shakeup. Uh, which this is nothing new for Trump. He's gone through several iterations of a campaign staff, but hopefully hopefully this one will last a little bit. Uh, we got a little gift from the comedic god Sunday and Monday. Everybody's friend Mr. Wiener has been caught sending pictures of his wiener out to, I don't know if they were unsuspecting or non-suspecting or people that were just trying to set him up, but he's been caught um, t- sexting again. And uh, this time, Huma Abedin, his wife, or soon-to-be ex-wife, has said, I am not going to stand by my man. She's leaving him. Which made me think, does she need an attorney or a wiener removal service? I don't know. Maybe Caitlyn Jenner could throw a referral her way. So at any rate, we're going to get uh, Scott in here to talk a little bit about his trip. We've got Victor Armendariz calling in at 2.30 to talk about his uh, congressional campaign. It kind of dovetails nicely with Scott's trip as Hank the Guam truther Johnson has referred to settlers uh, in Israel as termites. And uh, Victor is going to be running against Mr. Johnson, who's had <coughs> geographic struggles and also just general uh, – uh, 
rhetoric struggles his entire career representing people in the 4th District. I happen to live in the 4th District. And I think you're probably in the 6th District, Scott. Anyway, Scott, we're going to get you in here. Welcome to Greg's List. How are you doing, man? And uh, oh, good, doing great to great. have you back stateside. Doing great, Greg. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the air here, and it's good to see you. I was proud of you to uh, see you went up to Cleveland to represent as a delegate at the convention. Uh, I know you you've been working hard for years for the conservative cause, and uh, so I'm proud to proud to see you uh, doing that. That takes. Uh, a lot of mojo. So yep. thank well, you very much. I survived Cleveland, and you survived um, Jordan. So I think we're even, right? But uh, actually, Cleveland was a great experience. They've really cleaned up the city significantly. The staff and the volunteers there were uh, were just outstanding. And um, I thought the Republicans had a pretty successful convention. We'll see if it can translate, because in about two and a half months, we're going to know exactly what direction Georgia football is headed under Coach Kirby Smart. Oh, you thought I was talking about the election, didn't you? <laughs> I was, I'm sorry. I was got, hoping, uh, I, being an Auburn fan, you wouldn't bring up uh, SEC football. I've got uh, we've got football on the brain. Let me let me get back into geopolitics. So tell us a little bit about your trip. I was keeping up with you. Uh, you were visiting both with the with Jewish folks and um, Arab folks that were most likely Muslims. There are some uh, Christian Arabs as well as probably a few uh, Jewish Arabs. It's possible anyway. Um, right, right. Yeah, it was it was an awesome trip. Uh, it was a chance to go over and. And uh, just contribute to a part of the world that's really obviously dealt with a lot of uh, heartache and misery the last, uh, you know, several generations, really, but particularly the last 10, 15 years. So it was cool. I did a habitat build in uh, Jordan. That was awesome. That's uh, Habitat for Humanity? Yep, yep. I did that in uh, a, a village in northern Jordan and I went with a group from all over uh all over the country, and uh, it was a group that uh, I, I learned to really get along well with and really like. It was uh, people I probably would not have normally been spending a lot of time with. Um, not conservatives. I think I was probably the only conservative out of the group, so that was kind of They were all from the United States or from all over the They were all, they were from all over the country. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we went over. We hooked up with, uh, with the Habitat team there in Jordan, and uh, that was an amazing experience. I mean, I really grew to uh, have a, a strong liking for the Jordanian people, and it's a moderate Islamic country, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the uh, the government of Jordan and the U.S. government have a strong relationship on security issues, and uh, the king of uh, Jordan, King Abdullah, is uh, is a moderate and uh, reasonable man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so well, you're yeah. telling me Jordan basically doesn't have many natural resources, so they kind of have to be nice to other people. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's. They have true. to be good negotiators. They, uh, at least, I think right? they're, they're practical, and you can uh, you mm-hmm. can reason with them, which you know really. That's all that uh, that's all that I ask, or I think that we should ask, is uh, for governments to be reasonable. Yeah. So uh, basically, so. you went for you juxtaposing right in the powder keg there, being in Israel for a couple of weeks. Were you in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or what part of Israel? Yeah. So while I was over there, I wanted to uh, I wanted to go over and see the Christian sites in Israel and uh, and the other sites too, Jewish and Islamic sites. Just I mean. While Jerusalem and Israel kind of the, the center of the universe, the center of history, the center of everything, it feels like. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's there's things that I really like about both cultures. Uh, quite honestly, there's things I like about the Arabic uh, Islamic culture of mm-hmm. Jordan, 
and there were things that I didn't like, and there were things I liked about Israel. And uh, Israel is much more like America, much more freedom, much more um, a much more liberal and tolerant society. Liberal in a good way, not we're going to print money and um, buy shoes for people. And uh, well, never mind. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, it really got me thinking a lot about this issue of uh, of of the Republicans being portrayed as somehow being. Uh, um, Racist, or somehow being uh, overly patriotic, or xenophobic. xenophobic. How about that? For being uh, gung ho America and wanting to do what's right for Americans, and uh, for me, the the way uh, the way I observed things in both Israel and Jordan is uh, both Jordanians and Israelis are nationalists in, in the sense that they want to do what's best for Jordan mm-hmm. and they want to do what's best for Israel. Imagine that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, this idea that, that uh, if you want to do what's best for America, that that's somehow evil, I just, I've yeah. never understood that. Because well, when I, and a lot of times when you're doing what, what's best for your nation is probably not to be in a constant state of war like Israel and Jordan. I mean, and they're not really not at war. I believe it was a seven days war back in 1967 when Jordan uh, invaded, Jordan and several other countries invaded Israel and uh, were winning for a couple days. <laughs> that's why they call it the seven Day, it's is it the six or seven days war? I, I can't remember. I think it was six. less. Than, it was about a week. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, right. And uh, yeah, the first couple of days were going pretty well for Syria and Egypt and uh, Jordan, and then the uh, Israeli Air Force uh, stepped it up <laughs> a right, little right, bit. And right. It turned that war into about a week long affair. But uh, at any rate, so the Jordan has quickly realized that they're not in the best situation to be making a war, and it seems like they've tried to achieve peace through through economic means. Which yeah, and I think one thing... Is that what you to, saw well, there? Right, and one thing, uh, just from... I love to go and talk to the, you know, just the common folks, the cab drivers, the cooks, the uh, man on the street that's selling you souvenirs or this and that. Kebabs. Right, exactly. And uh, we have to keep in mind that these extremist groups have, have killed thousands of Muslims. Mm-hmm. And so... This idea that all Muslims are somehow uh, there's something wrong with them or something like that. Now, did they speak the people in Jordan? Did they speak uh, pretty good English? I know a lot of them are educated in England. Actually, uh, King Abdullah Abdallah is certainly a graduate of some of the uh, universities in England, um, and his wife uh, Queen Rania. Um, so, did the average person there speak English? I would say uh, probably about half and half. Okay. Probably about fifty percent of the population. And the, fi- and the people that do speak it speak it well, or are they? Uh, yes, oh, okay. I would say so. Okay. Yes, most people do. I would say a slight majority speak English, so it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to get by. Most of the road signs are in English, and uh, you know most of the people that deal with the tourists in general, infrastructure, transportation, this kind of thing, restaurants, they speak English, and the menus are in English. Now, so did you notice a, many Westerners there? In now, Jordan? unfortunately, you know Jordan's a developing country. It's uh, I think the average income is a couple thousand dollars a year, Ooh. and they rely pretty heavily on tourism as one of their key industries. And unfortunately, because of these uh, wackos with the uh, terrorist ISIS attacks, Al Qaeda right? still lurking around, so on. Yep, a lot of Westerners are afraid to go there mm-hmm. at this point. And so I did see some tourists at Petra. The uh, ancient city of uh, the Nabataean kingdom, 
But uh, that was featured in Indiana Jones. You may remember that. Oh but yeah, there, there were a lot the of the last crusade when they were looking for the Holy Grail. Yeah, exactly. Yes. There were a lot of tourists there, but in general, it's way down. And okay. So, you know, that it is sad to see. So I uh, believe Jordan is a landlocked country as well, right? It I believe it may have geography. Oh. It's a it is landlocked except at its southern extremity, where it does have a little bit of shoreline along the Gulf of Oh Ak- right, Akaba. 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 On the thank Red you, sea. thank you, Wikipedia. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I have a feeling that they probably intentionally designed it that way so they did have access to some kind of port. So uh, right, we'd have right. to go back and see how they sliced up the Middle East after World War II to <laughs> be a hundred percent sure. I know. Uh, uh, Israel probably took a little bit of their uh, land. Now you were telling me that in Jordan there was there's I guess pure blood Jordanians and then Palestinians, and they have like a two tier system. Um, well, I or, mean, uh, you know, you gather you gather information from common folks on the street, mm-hmm. and um, and then you research what you can, but you're sort of overwhelmed by information. But from what I was told. The Hashemite Kingdom, which King Abdullah is the ruler of, is a minority within the country of Jordan. So the majority of the population is Palestinian Arab, but that they don't have quite the same rights. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend to know what exactly that means, but I think there's some difference politically. Mm-hmm. And it's not a democracy anyway, so... You know the level of voting and this sort of democratic involvement. I think yeah. is pretty minimal. In well, I was about to say they have a king, and so they have a monarchy. Right, and the king is all powerful there. So right. it's I a think little they, different than the king of or the queen of England. Right, I think they have uh, sort of democratic institutions on a local level, mm-hmm. say city councils and mayors and this sort of thing. But I think uh, overall. The if, the closer you are to the king, the more power gotcha. you have. Well, that's so. kind of how it is with Hillary Clinton, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you, you got to pay to play, and uh, it seems like the same thing is happening over in Jordan. Anyway, we're going to take our first break here. We'll be back with uh, Scott Godwin. We get to talk about fun stuff like fitness as well, uh, like fitness whole pizza in my mouth a little bit later. That's the kind of diet I like to have here on Greg's List. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. 
Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. we got the, the privilege of Scott Godwin joining us again today, fresh off the airplane from a uh, an epic trip, and I don't use the term epic lightly, to both Israel and Jordan, two weeks in both countries. Uh, you talked that both, you got a, a sense that both of them had a little sense of nationalism, which we uh, hear that that's a pejorative here in the United States, that if you want America first, you must be some fascist, xenophobic a-hole. But, right, uh, right. Uh, but you, you felt the same? They had pride in their countries as well? Yeah, and, I mean, I think, obviously, you can get carried away with anything, but uh, when I go to Jordan, I don't expect to go there and tell people how to live or how to believe or how to think. I'm their guest. You, you weren't enrolled in free college when you went over there? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the same with anywhere that I visit. I want people to take pride in their home and right. the way they do things. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're not hurting anyone, I support them 100%. Now, what were the accommodations like uh, in Israel versus Jordan? In Israel, were you just like pure tourist, and in Jordan, you were kind of working? Yeah, we uh, we were able to stay at a at a village home. It was actually pretty nice, and uh, it was a in, nice in home. Jordan or Israel? in Jordan, okay. right? And we kind of walked back and forth between the build site and where we were. But uh, Jordan has has a nice infrastructure, and it's a developing country. Now, did they, you know, how strict are they? Like no alcohol. Like you can't just walk around with a forty of ice house. Uh, you know, it's it's not like in Alabama. It's uh, right, right. I think. It's a little different than Athens or Auburn game day. uh, Is it? Just a tad. Right, right. The girls aren't wearing Daisy Dukes and cowboy boots? No, it's it's a, uh, I won't lie to you, it's a very conservative culture. Mm -hmm. Just to give you. Conservative religiously, not in a bad way. Right, right. It's it's conservative and. and to give you context, it's one of the most moderate Islamic countries, okay. but it's still very conservative. Right. I'd so for lo- for us going there, it's still like, wow, let's turn back the clock at least a century. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> the way they, they choose to do things. You mm-hmm. know, Whether they would choose to do it differently if it was democratic, I don't know. But they, okay. they seem to like it, and that's the way they do things there. And so most of the women cover their heads. Um, mm-hmm. You can buy alcohol, but it's... It's challenging. You have to look a little bit, but it's You have legal. to, like, know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you have to know where to go. Listen, man, I, I really want to get something, like, that'll that'll really, you know, tip the scales for me. Where do I go to get that? Right, you exactly. Gotta, you got to go to, like, some secret little, you know, uh, kebab dealer that, hey, come to the back room, buddy. We got Mad Dog 2020 here. It's exactly. from the twenty. It's from the twenties. Actually, it's really old. Well, it's interesting. They actually do. The government makes uh, beer and whiskey and wine. Oh my god! So they make it and sell it, but they make it and sell it for uh, theoretically non-Muslims because Islamic people are not supposed to mm-hmm. drink, right? Uh, supposedly. But I think it's one of those things where it's just, you know, loosely enforced, but people are expected to, there's strong social pressure to not walk down the street drinking or drinking uh, in most restaurants, although restaurants that 
uh, cater to tourists do serve alcohol. Okay. So. Now, what did you speak in a restaurants? What did you eat in both? You said Israel's more like the U.S. I were you were did you go to like American restaurants in Israel, like fast food type places? You're I, not. I took a picture of the kosher McDonald's, but I did not eat there. <laughs> I promise. Uh, I wanted to take. Did a break you get any uh, Nathan's hot dogs there? <laughs> now, <laughs> how I, about Hebrew National? I would say a lot of uh, a lot of kebabs and this okay. sort of stuff, shawarma, this kind Rice of thing. Rice or similar. couscous. A lot of couscous, okay. rice. Okay. All those regions. Uh, in both Israel and Jordan? Right, right. Cuisine was pretty similar? Similar, but it starts to change, and Israel becomes more Mediterranean. It's mm-hmm. a little more based around olive oil. Breads. And breads okay. and uh, this sort of thing. But uh, both countries have similar cuisines, I would okay. say, yeah. So. All right. Well, how did you? Uh, how were you able to maintain fitness over there? I know you're kind of a gym rat, and you you, you do a lot of uh, fitness advice and training. Were you able to? Yeah, uh, so jog around or what? So uh, what was it's, the it's actually kind of that? funny, but uh, in Jordan, uh, physical fitness is not really part of the culture, but that is partially due. It to... Sounds like an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. That's partially due to uh, just the fact that people going out and jogging, this kind of thing, is it's you know exposing the body. It's hard to really relate here, but people mm-hmm. go out in short shorts and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not speedos. It's not really very. They common. don't have a Jordanian speedo. It's it's not something that I saw. So uh, Israel is much more like here, although. You know, you have Orthodox Jewish communities that are very mm-hmm. conservative within yep. Israel. Yeah, but I live pretty so. close over in uh, Toko Hills. There's some uh, more or, more of the Orthodox uh, Jewish culture in that area. There's actually four synagogues off of uh, La Vista, just within a, a couple mile radius of my house. And um, it's interesting in Judaism. You have such a you know you have the the liberal Jewish folks all the way to the Hasidic and the Orthodox and um, just a bunch of uh, different variances. In, in in Judaism here in the United States, um, I don't know how it is over in Israel if they have the same. Uh, I know the settlement um, settlements have become an issue uh, with some of the Israeli people, where the liberals in Israel don't want to continue settling in places like Gaza and the West Bank. I don't know how much you were got into any of that stuff over there, but. Right. I would say one of the most interesting things that I did, and you may question my sanity for doing it, but I ha- it, it really was not as as uh, as as dangerous as it may seem. But I took a uh, I took a public bus from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and that was that was an interesting experience because at the end of the day, you know, I do I do I do support Israel one hundred and ten percent, but I got to see what it was like. To live in the West Bank and try to try to um, travel between Israel and the West Bank, mm. and it is a stressful situation. So you can't help but feel empathy and compassion for the well-meaning Palestinians who live there. They're right. having to deal with poor leadership and extreme uh, extreme right. Islamic yeah, ideology. Yeah, I mean, you know, I so. think a lot of folks would 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 you know you hate. When you hear the rhetoric that well the the where are the good Muslims they didn't decry this you know horrific act from ISIS and I I would wager that they, that they actually are doing that they just really don't have a means of communication to communicate it and you know some of them are living under you know the the envelope of fear then they're not going to be running around um, you know talking at uh, uh, protesting ISIS they may tacitly do it and so here in the united states where we do enjoy such uh 
First Amendment freedom, it's easy for us. Look at Colin Kaepernick. Uh, he, he decides that um, he's, uh, you know, getting a little bit uh, hot under the collar. $114 million contract makes him oppressed by white people, and he's not going to stand up during the uh, Star Spangled Banner. So he's able to do that, and I guess Americans can see, oh, if somebody can do that here and take this controversial position, why aren't they doing that there? Right, and these the people that think that way just don't have the life experience to be wise enough to understand the reality of what really goes Are you on. Saying they're naive, uh, basically. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah. So, getting to visit uh, Bethlehem, obviously the place of Christ's birth, amazing experience, but also to get to see that. I mean, Israel's got a tough, tough problem on their hands. They're surrounded by countries and ideologies that want to blow them off the face of the earth mm-hmm. so they've met this uh met this from what i can tell with with aggression and strength and you really can't blame them mm-hmm. but to see it now, all what's it's the just, security like there though like crossing over into west bank that's uh, like, yeah that was i mean they stopped i didn't realize how much of a a is there a, a big serious is there a border. big barrier there? Barriers okay. and barbed wire and uh, machine guns and the whole thing. Okay, so Palestinians that want to go to Israel, they get patted down. They have to have papers to let them tra- travel back right. and forth. Okay, right. It was actually pretty funny. I'm on the bus with my uh, my Anglo-Saxon looks, and I'm I'm amongst uh, all Palestinian Arabs, <laughs> and I stick out like a sore thumb. And uh, so there's three or four. Uh, uh, Israeli military guys in camo and carrying uh, M4s, inspecting bags and checking visas on mm. the bus, and uh, you know they they stop and look at me and do like a double take, and they said, you know, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> I'm here to join the Taliban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm on my way to Damascus. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a stressful situation. So you, the Palestinians, I would say, they would argue that it's not very free. Yeah, I mean it's a tough it's a tough situation. You can't say that you know. I think like, I, I, were you w- were you walking around pal- you know the Palestinian areas like unmolested, or did you, you know, feel like you were being? You know, Arabic culture is very aggressive, extremely aggressive to try to sell you things, to try to. <laughs> so uh, you were so your gringo face was noticed. Right, okay. right, but you know, I never had I never had any problems in Jordan okay. or Israel, and I think uh, there's a strong sense of honor amongst most most Arabs. So mm-hmm. I think uh, it's a different culture, and uh, it's not one that I particularly want to live in personally. But mm-hmm. I respect it, and I didn't have any problems. So. Well, and the other thing is now you speak with a lot more credibility uh, about these issues. Um, I mean, me and you both hang at in similar circles, and I, um, I'm known to make uh, hyperbolic um, comments sometimes, but I do mine only for comedic purposes. I'm <laughs> never serious. But, uh, yeah, well, I'm sure me and you have been uh, amongst friends that maybe uh, speak without knowing, and that's kind of a danger, right? Right. Well, I don't want to rose-color the situation. You and I were talking before the show. And they've got serious problems. I mean, let's let's, let's Jordan not, or right, Israel, just, the Islam the Islamic world. The mm-hmm. way I understand it, even in moderate countries, it's it's illegal and forbidden to convert to Christianity, 
and homosexuality, homosexuality is, is looked is down upon. A by, lot of women's rights that uh, are taken for granted here, and I don't want to say women take their rights for granted, but um, you know, they. I, I think the the Democrats are co- cobbling together a, a, a very strange uh, consortium where you have gay rights, women's rights, and then they still want to import a lot of. Uh, it doesn't. It's, it, it's it, totally it, irrational. It doesn't make totally it, it, it irrational. Okay, good. Thank it's you. It's suicidal, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, there's a guy named James Burnham that wrote a book called Suicide of the West in 1964, and he saw all of this happening, and it, it really makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't get. It. I mean, is it is it just to prop up votes, and then and then what do you do? Because some of these these lifestyles will never jive uh, together. What one of and and I can assure you, the women's rights and gay rights are not going to be changing for the worse in this country. So that leaves one right. possibility: assimilate, or perhaps maybe we shouldn't be importing. So many people that right. may or may not adjust. Anyway, we're going to take our 2.30 break here. Appreciate you guys listening. Victor Armandadis will be calling in to talk about District 4. I'm glad to have Scott here with uh, his perception and perhaps some questions for Victor about his congressional run. We'll see you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. We'll be joined here uh, very shortly by Victor Armendariz, who'll be calling in. But, uh, Scott, we forgot to uh, circle back with that point, but you were, you're not going back to Jordan anytime soon, so uh, you, I don't think you are anyway, unless you get kidnapped against your will and taken back to Amman. Um, so you were telling me that there was some rumor, some speculation, scuttlebutt, that the reason Jordan hasn't been attacked... It's because they are paying off ISIS? That was some of the well, the you, dramatic stuff you heard? You know, if you try to draw lines uh, connecting allies and enemies in the Middle East, it gets complicated in a hurry. And uh, <laughs> I, I had a long conversation with a tour guide in, uh, in Jordan, and I asked him, uh, you know, in his opinion, why had Jordan not been the subject of more violence? And he said that, uh, you know... And, take it for what it's worth but he said it was a known fact that jordan was paying off isis <laughs> and uh, to leave them alone <laughs> now this is the kind of thing that people talk about and maybe it's true maybe it's not but i think the things that go on there behind the you know behind closed doors we'll probably never know but um it seems as though you know there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, double dealing and um you know, you can only hope that these governments are acting in the best interests of uh, stability right. and order. So, well, and you know that would be interesting to see the, you know, the security levels in Jordan, um, if that's having to do with it, or if they're negotiating, uh, you know, behind the scenes with these uh, these groups. Maybe when they they burn the Jordanian pilot alive and um, the Jordanian Air Force. <laughs> retaliated. ISIS said, all right, we, we're going to leave these folks alone. But uh, anyway, we've got uh, Victor Armandaris here on the line. Uh, we, we appreciate him calling in today. Victor, welcome to Greg's List. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. I uh, It's been a pleasure getting to know you the past six or seven years. I know we met uh, several years ago when you ran for uh, District 4 the first time, and uh, this time you're the nominee running against uh, the Mr. Guam truther himself, and we've been talking a little bit about Israel and Jordan and some of the places that uh, Mr. Johnson uh, seems to profess some kind of expertise in. I don't know if you've been able to listen into the first part of the show, but uh, anyway, I wanted you to be able to have the chance to introduce yourself to our our listeners and talk a little bit about uh, how your campaign's going in District 4. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a quick uh, background. Uh, I am, I was born and raised here in Atlanta and, and actually District 4 and Asher Park neighborhood, went to Asher Park, uh, went to Cross Keys High School uh, for the 8th grade and then my family moved over to the Tucker part of District 4 and I uh, went to Henderson and on from there, went to Georgia State University uh, for the past 16 years or so. I've been a director of media for a company downtown, but now I am campaigning full time. And uh, just a little bit more from my history, my heritage is my, my father came uh, to the United States in his early 20s when uh, from Mexico, and uh, I love telling the story because. The one thing that we've got to get a grip back on is the American dream. You know, the American dream has it, uh, has not died. It's just policymakers are beating it down. And it's nothing that we, the people, can't bring back. Right. But, uh, when I grew up, you know, I watched my father had to learn English and do everything. He worked different jobs and ended up retiring CFO of a company and here in Atlanta. And, you know, he just 
showed that it could be done and it can be done the right way. So it was a very neat upbringing because I saw the American dream in action. Um, so, you know, a combination of all those things and, and I just couldn't sit back and let Hank Johnson run unopposed. Uh, you know, I've got a, I think a unique strategy that has not been employed by the Republican Party in the past. And I think I have a unique story that, that hasn't really been, or at least a person like my background hasn't run, especially as a Republican. Yeah, well, Hank, well, Hank has certainly not given us any shortage of uh, material to use against him. I guess the the biggest uh, challenge is is getting to his base level of support and asking them what's Hank Johnson done for the district in the past eight years that uh, that you, that's measurable to you that has had any positive impact uh, on your life. And I would love to hear some of the answers to that question. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you've basically hit right on the nose of, of my whole campaign. You know, getting into this again, the, my biggest strategy from the beginning is I have to go to his base support. I've got, you know, I've been in the Democrat district apart, or part of the district, I should say, the heavy blue. And I've been actively campaigning to Democrats, and I don't know the last time a Republican has ever done that. But in District 4, you, you kind of have to do that. Uh, you know, to beat Hank, you have to get in and talk to the people that, like you said, his core support. And I have been having just really great inroads. i give you an example. An hour ago, I was with two supporters. They live in the Stone Mountain area. <laughs> lifelong Democrats and they uh, never you know the, you know the typical thing that you hear a lot is oh well Victor I've never voted for a Republican I, I've always told, been told not to well I'll tell you these two ladies it was amazing we, we spoke a little bit we talked about issues and we talked about not just the last eight years but even before Hank you know the, whether it's Hank whether it was Cynthia McKinney the same type politician being sent back over and over but you look at today where we are with district four 16 percent unemployment rate that's that's crazy and then if you break it down to african-american and hispanic unemployment rate it's over 30 percent so these are issues that hit home with him and then we talk about education and we talk about the youth arrest rate and then we talk about the refugee uh, crisis where Hank Johnson is 100% on board with bringing more refugees. And then what happens? That's taking money. That's taking jobs. There's a report out today that Hillary wants is actively telling refugees, let's give them jobs in Detroit. Well, that takes money right out of the hands of the core support of Hank Johnson. So I take these two ladies just an hour ago, African-American ladies, Democrat voters, stood next to me and said, Victor, you have our support. Not only do you have our support, we're the first time we're going to vote for Republican, and I'm going to be proud to go tell my neighbors that I'm on Team Victor. That's the kind of support I've been getting this time, which I think is going to make a difference this November. Now, I'm not kidding anyone. It's going to be very hard, and I've still got a long road to to plow, so to speak. But this is the best chance I think we've ever had, and I think this is going to be the close race that Hank's ever had. And I do think we have a path to victory, and it, and it, it could happen. 
uh, yep. but there's a lot of work. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, anybody in politics is running the the what if scenarios, and they had been doing this for the past year. Now we know it'll, it's Trump versus Clinton, and then we do have two other. Uh, Gary Johnson has actually gotten a decent chunk of people on paper, anyway. Libertarians always seem to answer phone polls, but they actually never go turn right. out to vote. So uh, it's hard to exactly say right. if hard to say if that five to ten percent will actually manifest. But anyway, it's showing up right now in some of the polling mm-hmm. data. Uh, but we're wondering, as, um, as speculators, uh, political scientists, what will the impact of Hillary Clinton at the top of the ballot and Donald Trump at the top, will that lower? I, I My prediction is it'll be much lower turnout than we've seen the past two cycles, just because uh, the historic presidency of Barack Obama is, is far more significant than Hillary Clinton being the first woman, just because she is so indisputably corrupt. Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of factors going on, and I'm looking at this, and and I look at it from just breaking it down to a District 4 uh, angle. And what what I see or what I think we're seeing is I I agree with you 100%. I think the turnout's going to be low. And I'm I'm seeing evidence of that when I'm in the African-American communities and they're telling me they, they don't have a lot of love for Hillary. <laughs> now, they're not all jumping on board with Trump, but I'll tell you, I've had surprisingly more than I would have thought that, that said to me either they're leaning Trump or they're heavily considering Trump or huh. they are voting for Trump or they're not going to vote because they can't. They don't want to vote for Trump, but they don't like Hillary. So that's telling me, I think, that you're right. There's probably going to be a lower turnout. And then I think there's going to be a high turnout of new voters. Um, you cannot look past the fact that Donald Trump got record number of primary votes. So he got new people in the system. Yep, so, he did. Um, so that's, that's going to be a factor, too. And, and on the national level, um, there's no question. If, if I had to put a look at my crystal ball today, I think Trump has an excellent cho- chance. Uh, I think the ground game or the ground, what's happening on the ground doesn't match the media narrative. And that's just from what I'm seeing from being Victor. On the I'm here with with Scott Godwin. He's co-hosting with me today. Been following uh, the the race is pretty close. Scott, what what do you have to say, uh, Victor? I'm just uh, curious. Uh, just tell us a little bit uh, about what it's like to get out there. And um, I'm I'm kind of in awe of the uh, the fortitude it takes to go into a leaning blue district. And just tell us a little bit about what it's like on a day to day basis to get out there and talk to folks because uh, being a uh, white myself uh, and having plenty of black friends and knowing uh, black folks at work uh, and Hispanic too um, you know America has always been a center right country I think and uh, most people are pretty conservative personally and uh, I'm just fascinated to hear what it's like talking to the common folks in your district yeah you know I tell you um, that's Again, goes back to the strategy and what I'm seeing on the ground has been nothing short of just absolute humbling and, and amazing. When I go in to these heavy, heavy, you know, and they're, they're African American, some Hispanic, but, but knowingly they vote Democrat. And I get down and we talk about issues. Now what I do most, most of the time, if they don't know who I am, I'll go in and start talking issues. I don't go in saying, you know, we've got to get rid of Hank. I don't go in saying that I'm on the Republican ticket. I just go in and start talking about issues. 
And you are so right in that we are center right because I can sit with a Hispanic family, I can sit with an African American family, or I can sit with a, a white family in, in Conyers. And they're concerned about education. They're concerned about the youth rate that's getting arrested. Uh, they're concerned that their kids don't have things to do anymore. They're concerned of the safety if they go out and ride their bike, you know, the, the things that, that, that we used to do when we grew up. And then they're concerned about the refugees. There is a concern about terrorism. Uh, and, and I talk about these things, so I get them, and, and I do simple things. Like, are, are you aware of the unemployment rate for, let's say, the African-American community? Oh, yes, it's hard to find a job. Do you have somebody in your household that can't find a job? Yes, I do. Do you have someone in the education system? Yeah. Do you think it goes, well, no. Uh, do you have a graduate that's having trouble finding a job? Yes. And then I tell them, well, okay, do you realize you send the same guy back to represent <laughs> this district for the past 10, 12, 13 yeah. years? Yeah. Back they, they, I mean, they've literally had a dearth of leadership going back uh, two decades. Plus, Victor, we got to take our break here. If you can hold on for a couple minutes, I wanted to sure. circle back with you. I've got some very specific points that uh, that I've thought about is how to message um, some of the issues with uh, refugees or just importing um, a bunch of immigrants when we have our own problems here. So, uh, anyway, Victor, Victor Armandaris is on the line. Scott Godwin in here co-hosting. You're listening to Greg's List. See you in a minute. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, Peace Street ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Joined here in studio with Scott Godwin, world traveler, fitness expert. And uh, we're chatting with Victor Armendariz, a candidate for District 4 in Georgia. District 4, is, uh, I actually live in District 4. I believe you're in the 6th District, Scott, but you were right on that cusp. So you may need to check if Tom Price or Hank Johnson, a little bit of a difference in uh, competency as far as <laughs> congressmen go. Uh, Victor, this is something that I've been thinking about. I um I, I I you you know my wife. She she's from Ecuador. I went through the legal immigration process whether it's very time consuming, very costly. Mm-hmm. I think most Republicans are very happy with legal immigration and we want to uh, encourage it and we want the best and the brightest to want to come here and call America home and assimilate. The the problem I see is the Obama and and Hillary policy towards this is just bringing over as many as they can with little regard to the economic consequences. And and I can be anti-illegal immigration, but my resolute stance against it is for an economic basis. And I think what we should be doing is asking the question – are you willing to pay more taxes and have more kids in classrooms in order to uh, fund this uh, immigration policy that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton are promulgating? And see what the answer to that question is, because that that's that's what's facing us, folks, is is are you willing to pay more taxes and have more more students in every classroom? to fund this refugee plan that Obama and Hillary have been doing. Do you, do you, would you agree that that's a way to economically look at it? Oh, 100%. I mean, for me, uh, it's an economic view and there's a security view. Okay. And when I'm talking with with a lot of these Democrat voters, they're not happy with Hank's stance on the refugees <laughs> because when you look at it, just like you said, they want to flood. And, and why the Democrat Party is so willing to gamble with American citizens, everyone should be appalled by that. Because if you think that there, if you can't look at the evidence that's in Europe of what's happening in Europe, mm-hmm. that there aren't radicals mixed in with these refugees. We even have seen documents where the they are radicalizing people and telling them mix in with the refugees. Right, come in. It's a it's and, a it's a it's a it's, it, a it's a strategy. I mean, absolutely, it is a strategy, and it's and the same strategy is being deployed on the border. With Mexico, mm-hmm. come in and look. Try to look like a Mexican or Honduran or <laughs> or Guatemalan and try to get through. I mean, that they're doing these things, and if we think they're not, then we're kidding ourselves. Right. We're whistling past the graveyard, so to speak. But then you also have the refugees that they just want to dump here. These they're not educated. Some many of these don't even have a elementary school education. So they're not coming here to be able to work. They're going to be ending up being on the system. Right. And that goes exactly to your point about taxes. Are we, because the government never is going to look and say, okay, we have a refugee crisis. We want to help. Let's cut spending over here and allocate money. Yeah. That's not going no, to happen. Ne- never. They're going to look at, at – that 50% barely of the country that's paying federal taxes and say, we're going to take more from you right? so that we can curate this voting block. Because when it comes down to it, and this is what I'm explaining to people in District 4, especially Democrat voters, that they do not have your best interest at hand. They merely want more power, and they get their power through votes. And yep. if you blindly keep sending these same people back, whether it is a Hillary Clinton or an Obama type or 
or Hank Johnson, you're just being taken for granted. Yeah. And if there's, there is no bigger example than District 4 of a district that is being taken for granted. There's no money in Washington flowing to District 4. <laughs> Why? Because they don't need to pay attention to Hank because, Hank, they know he's not going to lose or they feel that way. Right. But I'll tell you one thing. They've never come up against a five foot two Mexican American <laughs> who's willing to go to their core. I was about to say, Vi- Victor, what you what you may lack in physical height, you more than make up for uh, for your temerity and, and certainly your, your courage to be able to to run this race and do things differently uh, than we have before. Uh, they did redraw this district in 2011. It's a little friendlier for uh, Republicans. It's still it's it still a, it's still an ugly map, it's, but uh, <laughs> I, I you know is. I I. I I live in I live in the fourth as well, so I, uh, I I feel the feel the pain. I went I moved from East Cobb, Victor, and so I had uh, people like Newt Gingrich and Bob Barr as mm-hmm. my congressman, and then I move and it's Cynthia McKinney and Hank Johnson. Yeah, so it's a Johnson. little different. It's a little bit of a <laughs> juxtaposition having well, you know the intellectual uh, approach to things versus Hank, who is I I, I got to say just uh, challenged in so many ways. I got to meet the Guam delegation when I was in Cleveland and. Uh, <laughs> The Guam folks have actually made a kind of a joke about it. They've compared Guam and Singapore and said, "Look, you know, if any island's going to tip over, Singapore is way ahead of us in the uh, the, oh, the wow. tipability." And they've, oh, they've, they've it's kind of a, a satire that they've made up. But uh, okay, so so why don't we do more of this? Why don't we talk about the economic consequences? And, and I really want to focus on the scholastic part of it because thanks to a 1982 Supreme Court decision, and this is a, this goes to all not just refugees but all illegal immigrants, we as a nation have to enroll anybody in our public schools and we cannot question their nationality. And, and anybody that says this does not have an impact on the infrastructure costs in our public school system is an idiot. And I think that yeah. we need to to focus the question on the economic part, not that they're different than us. Uh, what do you think about that? Oh, 100% agree with you. I mean, it's they're they have to enroll, and it's, for lack of a better term, it is a burden on the system mm-hmm. because. And it, but but what it does is it gives them a reason to every to use the same tactic year after year. We need more money. Oh, if we just had more money, right? Oh, well, where are you going to get it? Well, we just got to raise taxes, and and they'll <laughs> do it in every form, whether property it's taxes, property, yeah, uh, exactly. Whether it's property taxes or sales tax, uh, a sploss, uh, sales tax, it's you know, sploss things, absolutely. And so, this is the type of thing we've got to get people to understand because they're. What I always tell people is, the American people are the most caring and most giving people in the world, and American people are the most compassionate people in the world. Absolutely. But we have to be smart. It doesn't mean that we can't be smart and to and to risk the safety and lives of American citizens. It is the number one job of the federal government to secure the the foundation of this country, the sovereignty of this country and protect the American people. So when you try and blend whether it's refugees or illegals and put them on the same playing field as American citizens that, to me, is not compassionate. No. The compassionate thing that we can do, first, is you take care of the American citizenry. We build this economy back to where it's it's growing at 5 6%, which can be done. That is not that hard to do. Even the, but Obama couldn't grow this economy if, if it slapped him in the face, <laughs> and he's proved that. 
so if we do things like that because a a accelerated United States, a United States that's strong economically, strong militarily, leading this nation, it lifts Mexico. And when Mexico lifts, it lifts Guatemala. When Guatemala lifts, and people want to stay in their native land, right. they're not opposed to doing that. When we leave, that's the that's that's the, that's the other thing is is if we keep. Uh, resettling massive parts of the world, what does that leave behind? That leaves an even um, an even more dangerous Central America, an even more dangerous Syria. If we're if anybody that has any kind of means to get to the United States, if we're it's back in the seventies and eighties, there was something called the South American brain drain, and basically anybody in South America that could leave did. They most of them went to Miami <laughs> or New York, but yep. uh, they. They left, and so that's left South America and Central America in, in huge chaos. That's why the, the governments there can't ever provide even basic infrastructure for their citizens. That's why the gang problems in uh, Honduras and uh, El Salvador mm-hmm. and Nicaragua have manifested so greatly. And, and that's a direct result of the United States basically importing as much talent as we could from those countries, and it left very little uh, natural resources, so to speak, human resources resources to build up their own country and what's that done it just made it spiral downwards at a quicker rate and i see us doing that big time right now in the middle east and it would just be doubling down on the mistake that we've made with our central and south american policy absolutely without a doubt scott 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 chime in here uh victor i i love what you're talking about here because this stuff fascinates me and uh really this is kind of a um an independent sort of observation neither left nor right but i sort of feel like and i think some authors charles murray and some other guys have backed this up uh he wrote a book called coming apart and it's about the decline of uh american culture but i sort of feel like there's a, a sort of war on poor people and uh i feel it's happening with the uh, democrats promoting uh, social anarchy but also I think some of these labor policies and immigration policies affect the poorest as well. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we got about th- we got about thirty seconds, Victor. <laughs> okay. Well no, Scott Scott, you're 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 right on. And one of the things that I'm talking to in the African American community also is that and, and I will tell them this and some of them laugh at me and but I but I do it in an openly friendly, fun way. But they're stuck on the Democrat plantation, and, and it's by design. Uh, you are absolutely right. To me, there is a war on poor people, and it's not the war on poverty to bring people out. It's the war to keep people mm-hmm. there. The more people that, that the Democrats can put on assistance programs, yep. they can put on disability, they can put – that's their voting All block. part what, of the plan. they need to understand exactly uh, that well, their vote should mean more. Victor, I'm looking forward to assisting you in this uh, campaign. I really appreciate the Thank discussion you, today. I think we've had a uh, an eye-opening discussion, and good luck on the campaign trail. I'm sure I will see you around, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening. As always, to Greg's List, replay of the show will be on tonight, 6 p.m. Thanks a lot. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.